Welcome to Aloria, a world of adventure, mystery, and cute, furry, cuddly little adventurers. I am super excited to talk about today's topic. If you've not heard of Furhaven, you are missing out. If you've got kids, you're definitely missing out, especially if you love playing anthropomorphic critters um, that are just lovable, adorable, and all in on seeking out adventure, mystery, and wonder. Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy Dice and Dialogue. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm your co-host, Alex. We are super excited to talk about Furhaven today, you guys. Um, we had the privilege of um, really delving into a, an actual adventure, um, you creating characters, um, and we really had a, pl- uh, a blast, um, and I'm excited. I know uh, while... Alex, you didn't actually get a chance to run the game for us. You did a lot of prep work. I did. Um, I know you weren't feeling really well, um, so we ended up running the game, and we did have a blast. Um, If you're familiar with 5th edition, this is going to be very um, comfortable to you, but I think it's delivered in a way that uh, it gives you the cute vibes up to a 1,000, and I love it. Um, So Brandon did run, but sadly he couldn't get a babysitter today. Yep, and that's... It is what it is. It's what happens when you don't line your calendars with your spouse, right? Double plans. Yep. Uh, so with that, let us talk about the Fates and Furhaven and the huge niche that it covers um, when it comes to gaming. Now, I do want to put an asterisk in front of all this. The PSV had was based off of draft version 1.1. Yes. Mm. So... It's a good point. Yep. They're still refining it right now, and I right. wouldn't be surprised if they add custom character sheets now. Yeah, because there were because when we did get through the document, there was clearly a couple of sections that needed to be filled in or yep. finished. But like I think like the some of the subclasses, right? Like the wizard. Well, this is when they're going to put some in the first place, right, but right. but there was a few like uh, racial abilities, for example, where it's like okay, it says your opponent when you use the ability makes a save. What's the DC based off of? Right. And now this was a Kickstarter um, that I backed. um, And I do want to preface this with it comes in two iterations. Yes. It comes in the fifth edition iteration. And then it comes in like a board game version with all the little character stuff for the the players and the kids, which I think is great. So Uh, I just want to say kind of on the note of kids, because we're talking about that a lot. Um, I do want to point out just right off the bat that and get the expectations set of what this is because normally it's slogging through goblins, rah, 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 right? <laughs> but um, right, this one heads is actually <laughs> uh, heads be rolling indeed. But this one is actually more geared towards kids, and um, I have dyslexia, and I actually once I once I understood their writing style. I actually wasn't mad at it anymore. I know I was texting you guys like I was super pissed about it. But the really the the difficult thing is that the the words were so small and mm-hmm. that they decided to make gray font. But again, like you said, this is draft 1.1. So who knows if they're going to keep that. But I, you could actually like um, I have the PDF up right here, but just because I wanted to do the entire <laughs> history of Aloria is a page and a fourth of a page. So like you could get a kid to read that. Yep. And they could and understand I think that that's it. really good. 
Yeah. And I think that's the big point. Also, on your point about the hard tax, if you go to their Facebook page, Kim, the lady that we had on Crit Academy and the one that is behind all of this, kick this Kickstarter and this project, <laughs> actually responds to the messages. So if you say, <laughs> hey, um, I have you know some concerns about accessibility, this makes it hard to read, I have no doubt she will answer and possibly make that change, especially mm-hmm. since it's in draft version right now. But yeah. Before we move on to more about Aloria and the the really colorful characters, um, I want to talk about kind of our experiences as the uh, as a uh, a GM that's kind of reading through this and developing an adventure, and versus our uh, playing of the game. Um, I want to really delve into it because there's definitely a different feel um, than I'm used to. Well, one question I kind of want want to resolve as well too is they say up front that it's based on the OG the the uh, I guess Creative Commons document now or OGL, but do they plan on putting all the material in there for like the player options, or do they mean to be a supplemental? Like you have to own the PHP and then you supplement with this. My assumption, based on what I saw, is you can play with what's in the book. Okay. Um, specifically when you get the the if you get the board game package, right? Okay. Um, doesn't mean they won't add all that detail, but I do think their goal was to streamline it down so it's right. less intimidating. Well, just because like in the wizard section, for example, it didn't give you any build options. Yeah. Well, as I said, and there was like right. the rogue was like that too, wasn't it? Yeah. There was two of them where there were no options, and I think that's because in the draft version they weren't maybe they weren't done yet. Right. Um, that's Which would be my one more reason why I wanted to say this is a draft version that we were going over. Yeah. Um, now that didn't stop us from having a blast. So. No, and f- for me at least, at least as somebody who is b- used to playing fifth edition already, I kind of saw this more from my angle, more of a setting that you can pull from. Yes, that was the big focus. Yes, um, and you can see that with some of the abilities that they use, that they just change the descriptions, mm-hmm. uh, where they reflavored an existing power to be more setting um, appropriate, right? like the totem barbarian, for example. Yes, how did they reflavor that? Like, they basically used terminology of, like, the names of the various, like, Atom Barbarian head of edition to be more in line with the setting. That's, yep. that's, like, one main example. And that shows just how adaptable it is to the, the yeah. 5e. I mean, some of the stuff is the same, just written slightly different. Right. Like we did with our uh, our symbiote thing, right? Mm-hmm. That was just a Barbarian <laughs> fighter multi-class, but we wrote rewrote it in such a way that it made you play, like, Venom from the Marvel Universe, and it was still the same game. And so. I still find it hilarious that people comment about how broken that was. Only for you, Republic, we just both a class between Fire and Barbarian. That was it. <laughs> it is worth <laughs> noting that you can get it pre-ordered right now if you head on over to uh, uh, for Haven's Kickstarter and or website. Um, uh, you can find a link in the comments. So Okay. Uh, so now, one of the things that really stood out to me about this game was how much it encourages you to get creative. Um, it talks uh, brief, it talks about how you want to try to uh, um, encourage children and the players to be enhance their their experience through leveraging what anthropomorphic God I can't say that word uh, animal creature. <laughs> <laughs> that you're playing as and i really i took that to heart so i played as a porcupine archer yep but i didn't use arrows he pulled out quills and shot them that's amazing because that was so much cooler and it fit the theme that of what that character would do Haven. it yeah. feels like that that's what you do in this mm-hmm. and i definitely doubled down on being a turtle 
Yeah, you did. He was uh, what's the, the the what is the character? He was like flying, like uh, tucking into running and flying and tucking into his shell and smashing into stuff, or just running out in front and that's just how I flavor the unarmed strike anyway. See, and that's way cooler, right? Like that is just awesome. Okay, first off, I was playing as a turtle, which gives me a plus to too many AC as it was. Then I played as a monk, and then I played the uh, archetype type they have in there with a shell, which well gave me plus two more AC, so my AC was tw- twenty at level five. Yeah, you just run out and then just tuck her into a shell and wait till it be attacked <laughs> with yep. the dodge action. Yep. There's, no, no, I damage. just uh, sat out there and uh, tanked for, for the entire group. <laughs> Um, and I think that that also, those two things feel like they shouldn't go together. A monk is swift and agile and a turtle. I mean, and that's funny too, because he didn't do the swift and agile thing. He just ran out and tucked, tucked and covered and over the vest. So, uh, I thought that was really cool. The story. To be fair, I only got hit once. And it didn't even hit, did it actually hit you though? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, Cause you were attacked have, a lot. Well, to have my HP. <laughs> Good thing ridiculous. he only got hit once. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the setting in the story, um, made for interesting, um, archetypes and, um, what's interesting is it pushes because everyone is like a different, they call it a different familial species Mm -hmm. and the subclasses are familials. Um, so you can, what I thought was really cool, and we'll talk more about this in the next episode where we talk about the whole character creation process, but, um, the, the, there's a lot of tension between the different groups, which is very reminiscent of, what you'd expect in a more adult oriented game, but it's done in such a way that it's not as dark. Yeah. Um, their problems are more mundane than that. Um, and except when they aren't, except when they aren't. <laughs> uh, and I feel like that came across in the adventure we ran. I like the idea of us choosing kind of, uh, the focus points. I think Brandon jumped off of that where yeah. when he ran the game, I mentioned who my, you know, my problems and my character's background with the, uh, Yep. Uh, I picked up uh, uh, the Ranger insect insect swarm controller or whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. and so we ended up fighting insects. Now, at the, I, I admit at the top, I didn't know that insects are typically the main bad guys. Um, so here I am, a master of swarms, and they're also my favorite enemy, which I picked at random. So, well, you also mentioned too your training. I thought that was like, well, I train insects, therefore it only makes sense for me to know about them. Yes, therefore, they're my favorite enemy, and it wasn't in <laughs> that. And it's so. The fact that they were my favorite enemy had nothing to do with them actually being my favorite enemy. It's just I manipulate and control them. And so that became my favorite enemy, which also happened to be one of the villains. So yeah. um, I, as somebody who had did the, the prep work for this, um, kind of what uh, what stuff did you have to uh, – what kind did you go through, Alex, that you really enjoyed that may have been a little bit different or you know, how is it different than you would normally prep a game? Uh, yeah. Since this is meant to be targeted towards children with little furry, adorable creatures. So I, uh, so I, while you were talking, I was trying to think of like what I could compare the like setting with in terms of tension that is still kid appropriate. And I mm-hmm. think the one that I can compare it to the most is Teen Titans. From yes, like, not go, not go. Teen Titans, <laughs> like the original Teen Titans. Um, Very much that thing where you can cover really important topics like, uh, for example, the scales. Um, The scales are always having like a power match and like are always vying to be on the top and stuff like that. And they're very isolated. And um, you can start you can like start opening up that world and like teaching scales how to love other things furs and stuff like that. And I thought, I thought that that was, I think it's like teen Titans level where you could definitely teach 
some life lessons while still being kid appropriate. And I do think that that's kind of what the book encourages. Yes. Because if you think about it, one of the biggest things in um, the world is diversification. And some people have a problem with that for whatever reason. And so this book is designed to kind of bring that as a focus. That and the exploration is kind of a focus to encourage the kids that, oh, the scales aren't bad. They're just a little different and they do things differently. And I think that that's a really good way to handle that. Yeah. Now, it, if you're in a family of people who don't want to like everyone because they're different, this probably isn't a game for you. <laughs> but I think that that is done. It's done really, really well because each of the different furs have different goals, motivations, rituals, faiths, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And it ties really close to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that for some people, that's going to be a line that they're not going to want to even cross. But um, I think for most families in the world that that's a good thing, right? Yeah. And it pulls away. It definitely pulls away from the just slaughtering monsters endlessly. Yeah. But doesn't eliminate it, which I think is good. Although, let's be real here. Some people do enjoy that. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. And I, I think that's also part, that's part of one of the three pillars, right? Yeah. And so while it pulls away a little bit, there are things and monsters to fight but most of it is uh like not encouraged to be extremely detailed <laughs> and they also make it clear too that for the most part most of the monsters you encounter like more creatures if you will are like the insects arachnids are they're not, not sentient yeah now some higher tiered ones might be like a bee queen for example yeah. or a mother of spiders or they did imply that there are some elchish abominations living deep in the ocean too, but hey. <laughs> and, and, and and that's a really good point. So in typical D&D, yep. you do fight sentient creatures. This really pulls away from that for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not that they're just different from me and they think differently. I'm going to take them out. It's usually they're wild beasts. They're uncontrolled. They're, you know, you're, they're f- pushing against the safety of the community, which brings the furs together to fight off and ward off the, yep. the enemies, which I think is, is really, really um, important. Now I do want to kind of uh, expand really quick on, you know, Aloria and, you know, the, the diverse landscape that it is that builds this kind of yes. colorful characters and, you know, thrilling quest thrilling quest opportunities um i do like that they refer to them as species because that's more accurate um because they're different animals which is nice yeah. uh so aloria does encompass uh several different areas it's like the north den which is basically divided into three core areas fur haven which is basically a community of you know cozy close homes that are fortified in a fortress while you have featherwood wood where the powerful you know magicians kind of watch things from above and you start you'll start to see a trend too but the names in the way they're the, the 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 furs that are there right furs is a general term right for all the the sentient creatures if i recall correctly and so uh while the feathers see from over but you can kind of imagine what type of creatures are, those are yeah birds right yep and then you know scale city is the domain of wet scales and dry scale clans right Mm -hmm. and they kind of got slithering locations and then uh so between the different dark realm of the scales versus the bright flowery world of fur haven there's a lot to explore within for within the game of fur haven whether it's the bramble briar which is a deadly bug infested you know uh forest or you know some of the other areas like mole cities 
uh, that are underground, which means you can delve into caves and caverns and fight, you know, creatures that lurk and infest the area, which I think is really, it really still brings that D&D experience, but mm. to like a less, gr- a more child focus and you can keep mm. things fun. Every kid, you know, has no problem swinging a, swatting a, a, a spider that's trying to bite you or something right like 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 that which i think is good and because of the nature of this i feel that um we as adults can find a nice interesting story that can appeal to all ages and Furhaven kind of delivers the setting for that <laughs> for that <laughs> but it's um now, it is worth noting that, you know, Alora's heart lies with, you know, the this focus on the creatures that exist here and how they're different and how they don't expand far beyond their own areas. So everything mm-hmm. is wondrous and, and a journey to explore and see because they don't – it's not like a fantasy world where people travel great distances regularly, right? They're very small, knit, very much like the Shire, right, from yeah. – uh, uh hobbits and lord of the rings right yep they don't really go anywhere and when one does apparently it's a big deal right um and so the whole kind of world is like that well part of that too though since they're based off actual animals that they all kind of gravitate to a particular habitat so which means they avoid (laughs) there's a movie coming out about like the elementals elements elementals or whatever that's Mm -hmm. like that where they all just kind of reside in their own areas so they don't get to experience all the stuff that's out there but like, but that's something like that. It's like, why would they? <laughs> right, and and in in this game, it tries to focus on that aspect, right? So when you first start your adventures as a first level one adventurer, you know you're 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 excited to see what's out there, and that wonderlust is what I think really can appeal to the children. Yep. So um, I don't know. Uh, I kind of really wanted to delve into that a little bit because to me. That's where it shines, and, and Ian kind of uh, mentioned that earlier, that it really is the setting that makes the game so enjoyable and yep. different. Presentation. <laughs> also, I, artwork is cute. Yes. yes. I will say from a Dungeon Master standpoint, uh, coming from D&D 5e and knowing that this was a D&D 5e like, uh, uh, hack, essentially... Um, mm-hmm. I was really expecting it to be a lot different than it actually was, but in the like the best way. I I really expected it to be more um more about the fighting, but really, really, really just like what you said, this is about the exploration. You are going against the grain and saying why not and going out and exploring. And one of the things that I enjoyed thoroughly is that each one of the locations has probably like four paragraphs for you to uh, know about, get to know it and get to understand it. But there's these little, not only are there little plot hooks within the book, but Mm -hmm. after each area, there are Furhaven encounters. And I'll just read one. I'll just read one for example. Uh, uh, number four for uh, encounters in Fairhaven is Paladin on a Mission. The Paladin is in the midst of a divine mission assigned to her by the priesthood of her god. Uh, are you sent to help her in her quest or are you a hindrance she must overcome? Like, 
this is this was really designed for kids in mind with kids in mind and whoever wrote this also understood that it needed to be interesting for the adults too yep and i think that's a really big important part to say i agree 100 percent. it's also also worth mentioning too that not only does each session have their own encounters there's kind of a quest at the end of the book too that a gm can run yep and uh one of the uh, i think in the uh, final episode of this series we'll talk about the actual campaigns and the adventures um, because they are interesting in fun ways. Um, and I, to, to Alex and to your point, it to be able to have something that appeals to such a wide range mm-hmm. and still keep it appropriate is hard to do. And I think that they did that well. So, <laughs> And this setting did have the unenviable task, as Alex just said, of trying to, I don't want to say dumb it down for kids, but make it digestible for them but still appeal to adults like we mentioned like teen titans earlier like the earlier series that go but the avatar series has done that fairly well too yeah mm-hmm. and i think that that's a really good example because yeah. that really you looks like a good show but when you play it there's a lot of high level stuff going on there to be fair it does cast off as a kid show until you get to the first air temple <laughs> yeah that's but- when it it shakes things up uh <laughs> <laughs> anyways so um in this episode, I kind of think we want to, let's delve a little bit into the furs yes. and kind of what makes them different, right? Who are the furs? I mean, the whole, the whole, the book's called Fur Haven, right? So um, for those that are listening, the furs are warm-blooded mammals, right? That live in, in, in that, that part comes from the book. And yeah. I have some concern because I, that the, they collectively refer to furs as everything, but then in that one of those first lines, it says that they're warm-blooded. Does that mean the scales aren't cold-blooded? I would think the scales are cold-blooded. But I think the whole thing is an... Okay, yeah, that was my misunderstanding. You're right. Uh, so... <laughs> So the, the, the furs, you know, warm-blooded mammals that, you know, live in close-knit communities and a variety of, of species, whether it's raccoon or squirrel or chipmunk or, you know, whatever. And the leaders, you know, are appointed by the community to take care of the people and all that stuff. Uh, I think they have a council of elders or whatever in there that yes. kind of handles all the disputes. Um, now, the feathers the, the feathers have are unique in the fact that they are historically the ones that kind of are in charge of all the magic, right? I would say formal magic would be more accurate. Formal magic? Because there are like sorcerers and stuff that yeah. uh, other ones that get it and aren't is um, they can use magic, but it's not formally trained. So they'd be like the wizards, right? Yeah. They they learn and they gain that knowledge through practice and understanding yeah. now. Yeah, they claim domain over the wizard section, if you will. Yeah, and I, I <laughs> they, learned magic. Yes. There we go. Uh, now, it does touch on that difference between that with the between the feathers yep. where, you know, other furs access it through like uh, deity powers with clerics built in, uh, you know, formed with powers or forming packs with like warlocks. Yeah. So you can almost think of the feathers as basically almost strictly you know wizards right yep. um now and it does touch on too that they are kind of arrogant they kind of believe themselves as better than everybody else too yeah so. and it, it, that that really that really jives right with, with uh wizards in general so they're elves <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah so uh 
beyond just uh, the the name for the furs, there's a couple different ones. Yep. Um, but they one of my favorites, and here's one I picked out, and I'd love to hear what you and Alex think is the wee furs. Now these are basically like the small little critters that uh, you know chipmunks. Squirrels. Yes, yeah, they they cherish you know the comforts of home, and and they are absolutely adorable, and they are diligent workers, right? They uh, seeking rewarding outcomes of their hard work. Uh, is very typical of the wee furs. Um, they're friendly and welcoming and supportive of uh, neighbors and strangers, which I think is fantastic as well. But that also means because they're wee, they're not is they're not typically physically strong, right? Like I think yeah. one of the pregens that come in the the little the the game box is a chipmunk sorcerer, right? Yep. Not physically strong, um, and I think that that encourages them to be more community driven. Yeah. So players are encouraged to pick play characters that follow kind of that familial spirit, right? Yeah. I almost played a mole wizard, just because to, to make it very clear, there are hedge wizards that have to keep it quiet because mm-hmm. those who are not feathers who are wizards, but work it's all about them, tend to disappear. So I kind of like the aspect of I'm going to uh, be a wizard who learned from a underground wizard school because they're moles. <laughs> <laughs> that's good I, that. I like that yep i ended up backing off and i'm like oh there's no special was an archetype for this I yeah to try something new, and so. we all wanted to play the the new stuff right yeah because you really could have just picked any of the wizard subclasses we already know of but yeah. i like that you kind of changed it up to fit with the material that was in the book yeah the only addition that they gave to the, to the wizard in our document anyway was they learned the magical language <laughs> That is part of this universe. Which is part of this, uh, Aloria, right? Yeah. Um, so I really like the Wii Furs, and I like that yeah. it encourages us to um, play the characters like that, right? Where everyone's family, right? You're here to help everyone. I Oh, you're injured. Let me help you. Oh, you need some food. Here's something I have. Um, and that, that comes back to that familial trait of that particular type of fur. Um, mm-hmm. Was there one that uh, stood out to either of you that you'd so, like to talk about? I just... I am just thrilled at how thorough they are whenever it comes to these furs because just in the uh like the feathers uh, alone mm-hmm. there's like um raptor feathers, waterfowl feathers, small wing feathers, yep. large wing feathers, ground feathers and it's just it's just it's lovely like whoever made this division where it's like I'm going to cover as many things as possible did a really good job yeah. and as yeah. a person who is a reptile lover has owned reptiles for the majority of her life I was very 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 pleased to see reptiles included because they normally <laughs> aren't or they're evil and these aren't necessarily <laughs> evil and I'm very happy about that that's a really good that. point I like that yeah without question I mean sure there might be one or two cr- Real world creatures that might not be able to fit one percent, but th- they do a, a very good job of giving you lots of options to pull from. Yes, and I think that that's important and uh, encourages you to come up with um, uh, try these variety of different types of uh, species yep. um, for your flavor. Um, but what's cool is. That not only do they share within, like, let's say the scales, they share a specific group of powers. Yep. But then you can pick from a table based on which you think best fits your 
a species from family, right? I think the default was you pick one, then you randomly roll for the other. Was it random? Yeah. Well, it's like to give you a table, you pick one, then you randomly roll for the other one. I think okay. I think you could probably get away with picking two if you want, as long as everyone else is cool with that, because I think it just makes make sense. And hey. <laughs> there's a reason why I think that's really cool. Because it removes the focus of optimization, but more importantly, diversity. If we both pick a chipmunk and we both pick a chipmunk monk, chipmunk, would it just be a chipmunk? <laughs> yes. Mm. Chipmunk? Well, anyway, um, and you roll on these tables, you're going to get a different result from the person next to you, right? right. Which I think is really cool too. Um, you mentioned the scales. Do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the scales and their kind of um, culture? Um, yeah. Kind of like so- I did with the uh, furs. So whenever it comes to the furs, whenever it comes to the furs, they're pretty much like happy as a clam in their little houses, da 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 da. Whenever it comes to the feathers, they're like, we were the ones that were supposed to be in charge after the war, but you know, we're not not I'm not I don't mean anything by it, but that kind of a thing. The scales are more secluded. They're more uh into their own they they're doing their own thing. And what that own thing is, is essentially like a family-friendly version of a civil war. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very, they, they do a very good job of describing this without necessarily saying that, hey, there's, but there's a lot of conflict going on in the scale community. It's like Thanksgiving every year. Yeah, it's like Thanksgiving Except right every now. day. Um, and, uh, I love that because at the end of the day, you need conflict in order to like go out and do stuff. And, um, scales are normally like very reclusive. So having a scale come to you and be like, oh, I'm in trouble. That's like a really big deal. And like I said, they're not necessarily evil as much as it is they're in disagreement with one another. And I greatly appreciate that. Um, I did want to say, though, that with the way that these furs and scales are all done, it kind of reminds me of a kid just blurting out, like, I want to play a naked mole rat because, like, Kim Possible <laughs> or something like that. I think I just aged yeah. myself. And there yeah. they can do it. They can do it. If the kid just blurts out a random animal, like, I want to play a zebra, like, they can. I want to play a pangolin. <laughs> <laughs> What? A pangolin? Yeah, it's kind of like an armadillo. <laughs> oh, that's a real thing. I thought you were making a joke about penguins. No. <laughs> I mean, basically, what we have here is a fancy version of Zootopia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, now I want to play. Uh, what was that? That's that sloth that drove the race car. What was his name? Oh, Flash. Flash. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that. Something so funny. Um, so you make a really good point there, and I, um, the fact that the the conflict is handled in such a way um, keeps it once again keeps it interesting for all all levels. Um, the one thing that really stood out about the uh, comment you made about that they're very recluse and it's a big deal. They would also understand the culture of the other furs, so they would know the type of people to go to. So right. it would be less. A scale who's not used is uncommon for scales to go out and talk to people. They would more likely go see chipmunks because chipmunks are known to welcome strangers, mm-hmm. right? And I could easily say that like uh, some of the conflict can be not 
because people are being dicks, it's just, it's just they have different cultures, and some aspects may not mesh well with each other 1% without right. working through it. Which is real life. Um, now some people realize that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ian, was there one that stood out to you? Oh. I mean, as you saw, I picked like the reptiles. Yep. The scales, the turtle. That was interesting. And um, just the fact that you had quite a, just a lot of options in general. And this is a pangolin. That is a hideous looking anteater. <laughs> it looks like a scale anteater. <laughs> yeah, we crossed an armadillo in the eight. Either, um, not too far off. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So reptiles, the scales are are those are the same. I think in this world, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have the wet and the dry. Um, the other thing that really makes this world really shine is the amount of different groups, and I we call them we call them factions, right? Yeah. But they're described in a way that they just make sense. Um, a couple examples, you know, you have the black tongues that are led by Ivor Black Tongue. A bloodthirsty pirate raiding ships and settlements along the southwestern shores. So there is our first indicator of actual hostile sentient yeah. furs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, if your group is old enough, that would be a direction you could take. Because everyone knows pirates are bad, right? They They steal. Of course, my stupid ass would put a twist in there of, well, technically, Black Tom... robs from the rich and gives to the poor then make it kind of some ambiguity in there because that's the way I roll but or I gave him a region that had no resources and it was constantly being denied to them so they're trying to survive dude I totally just watched uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime (laughs) and uh, in it uh, the orcs are attacking and destroying because there's no food there's no food and they're like fine we'll go find it from somebody else after nobody would give them any. Right. <laughs> and so there's, so this kind of does touch on it. You've got others that sound interesting. Like you have the parliament of owls. Isn't an owl, a group of owls, a parliament. Yes, I believe so. So the fact that the parliament of Owl is a prodigious, prestigious group of owl wizards advising the King of Featherwood and noble families. They aim for peaceful coexistence and their goals may not always align with their declarations. So I think that that's really cool. Ah, little talk. Got it. Yes. And I think that that's really interesting. Once again, so those two sets of things kind of give us the option as game masters or adults to make sure we include little more complicated and interesting stories, right? <sighs> um, and and so there, there's really a lot to this, I think, uh, to to really delve into it. It's going to take, you know, several episodes of the series. Yeah. Um, I know we want to talk more about the character customization or the character creation process, as well as some of the, maybe the monsters that are in the book and the, uh, the adventures. But unfortunately we're running out of time uh, for this episode. Are there any final thoughts that you guys want to touch on before we move on, uh, before we end this episode? I do want to say first and foremost, that even if you don't use the, the mechanics hardcore, if you will, that are introduced mm-hmm. in this one, it still presents a good setting that you can easily build off and pull from and play to a game that you can tailor make to all ages, basically, in yep. some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. I think the thing that I would like to focus on more than anything is that not only is this a good way to can, like um, get your kids involved in your hobbies, it's also a good way to bond with your kid. 
Um, and also get your kid off the iPad. <laughs> yes. So I think uh, I think this is fantastic. Yeah, and and there's and I think that's part of the reason why RPGs like Fur Haven and Five E and you know all those you know games that we talk about regularly um, are growing is because it pulls us away from our individual video games and allows us to engage with our friends and our family in a fun social way. Uh, great. Now I do want to play Diablo 4. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought it yesterday. They, what a, they're getting ridiculous with the prices of these games. 70 bucks now. Yeah, for although, the generic version. Although, to be are fair, you they. Kidding? Although, to be, although get games used to be 50, then they're 60 for how many years? And let's be real. We said the same thing when they jumped from 50 to 60. Yeah, it sucks. Anyways, uh, I did Got pre order it and I will be playing it uh, <laughs> on hardcore. So please contact, reach out to me on, on Facebook or. If, or email if you want to play yeah. uh diablo is not suitable for children so uh, <laughs> yeah don't do that so uh word uh final kind of final thoughts for haven is a rich tapestry of divide uh diverse and influential uh groups um and these organizations you know leave an incredible mark on you know the land and its people so whether they're reveal, uh, revered or uh, reviled, their actions and reputations kind of shape the course of the world and influence the one, the all those that reside in Furhaven. Um, so it's important to, um, when playing the game, to make sure that becomes kind of a focal point, right? When the feathers all of a sudden fly away north for the, some reason, or fly south for some reason, maybe you're trying to figure it out and and that's a normal uh, abnormal it doesn't happen well how does it influence everyone or everything around well no carriers because there's some of the birds are just mail delivery right Good. or maybe it is normal they just never know it until now because of how separated societies are Ooh, that's interesting and a bunch of people go seek help from them and they can't because they flew south for the winter yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it's anyways um so i think that's one of the big takeaways from this um in you know this vast and captivating realm the legacy of these groups in these furs will you know their impact will be remembered for you know a long time so that'll do it for our main topic and now on to our system agnostic tips and tricks today's encounter is cosmic countdown now to be fair um i'm a big fan of movies and i'm definitely a big fan of games so there's some really great inspiration for this um the kingdom of elthralis a peaceful land of magic and wonder a great disaster looms a celestial object known as the doom star hurdles towards the world threatening to bring an apocalypse of catastrophic proportions desperate to save their beloved kingdoms the ruling councils turn to groups of skilled adventurers to embark on an extraordinary quest inspired by the movie Armageddon and the game Final Fantasy VII. There's a cosmic countdown before it impacts. The adventurers must have a set of unique skills, not attack skills, right? Not how they're going to fight a monster, a unique set of skills that requires complex skill challenges and skill checks in order to overcome. They have to transfer themselves either via shuttle if you're playing fifth edition maybe a uh a spell jammer to fly out and meet the doom 
star, land on it, and try to destroy it from there or redirect it. In order to do this, they need to gather certain uh, magical artifacts and energy power, powerful fragments um, to either uh, to open a portal to get to the center of the Doom Star and potentially destroy it from the inside. Um, this to me is a very interesting uh, encounter and or adventure because there you can have combat, but that is not the focus. Nope. Um, the goal of this is to make skill challenge and exploration and knowledge checks the core focus of the adventure. Now, the beauty of it is, if you've wanted to run a post-apocalyptic world, this is the quest to lead into it. Yeah. Because if they fail, bad stuff happens. If they partially succeed, mostly bad stuff happens. But if they succeed... Maybe it alters and shatters a single part of the world where they redirect it to something like Antarctica where there's nothing there, right? <laughs> or maybe you can make it so they barely, uh, they do manage to destroy it, but maybe there's something on it that alters the way the world around them is like symbiotes or something. Now I'm picturing in One Punch Man when the massive meteor was heading towards the Earth and would destroy it on impact. Yep. Only for the right time to jump in the air, punch it, do really tiny fragments, which wrecked all up. A bunch of building the city, but all the population came out was that's the guy that wrecked our houses. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, and that's kind of what I'm thinking. So the goal of this, um, is to get a team with very specific set of skills. Yep. And as the GM, you can use the current player characters you have. You just find what skills they have and how they would manage this. We don't go into a lot of detail of what uh, um, may actually be involved. Um as far as this discussion, but there's a full layout, uh, at the blog. Uh, yeah. So we'll have this on a blog, uh, with all the full details of what we set out, but I love to hear what your guys' thoughts are, how you would get more out of this. How would you draw the players into it? Aside from the world is ending I just to have, the point that I just have a question. Um, yeah. is there a sexy one winged angel going against us during this? <laughs> if you want a silver haired angel with a sword, so well, okay, never mind. <laughs> Big sword, got it. Sure, yes, why not? Uh, maybe he's piloting the damn thing. I don't know, but uh, maybe he arrives first and becomes like the locator that draws it there. Maybe that's one of the things that's they uncover, cool. right? So those are some ideas that I I kind of think are would be fun. But the idea of having a task that's less combat focused probably doesn't interest interest Ian very much. But I think it's great, which is funny because I he's a clipboard great. dude. So do you guys have any further uh, things you think would be cool ways to do this? I have my thoughts, but I want to hear you. Sure, you can't protect the Earth. I don't feel like it. But, but the world's place where you store your stuff. Oh, crap. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely think that this is very fun, and it's a very unique spin on the world is ending kind of a thing. I definitely see where you got your inspiration from. Uh, my favorite part of this whole thing is the exploration thing i think final in final fantasy 7 my favorite part of final fantasy 7 was putting all the little pieces together 
to find out what the actual fuck was going on, you know? Like, we didn't know originally, <laughs> and then we had to put right. it all together. And so I, I would love to emulate that kind of idea with this, where it's like, oh, man, this, oh, crap, this, oh, no, this. And then it, like, it almost, like, builds upon itself, and I think that that's a lot of fun, and I agree with you that the exploration, it should be the, should be the goal, but also, like, you know, throw a few butt fights in there. It's fine, and, like... I, I really I really enjoy this as someone who has played Final Fantasy VII. This is fun. Yeah, maybe when they land on it, there's Doom Star elementals or something, right? Yeah, that are like necrotic, you know, rock elementals or or crystal golems or crystal golems or something. So there's a lot you can do with that, right? Um, and if you really want to make it crazy, make them sentient and it's their world and it's out of control because of the sun of exploding or star exploding that sent it hurtling through space. So now it's not just a thing that's going to destroy your planet, but there's people actually on it and are trying to do everything they can, but they, they can't. Right. Yeah. Um, so you could, uh, I'm playing uh, tales of her eyes right now and they got the, the dual planets and all that, you know, circle each other. So maybe that becomes one of the fixes, right? And uh, so there's a lot that kind of comes through this. And one of the things I thought of, well, if this is such a big deal, why is it just your heroes? Well, maybe there's more to it. Maybe something has drawn all the other strong adventurers away. Maybe your one winged silver hair weaponed angel is so powerful. It requires the strongest adventurers in the world to battle him. And they're off fighting them while you guys are stopping the world from actually ending. The main adventures are off on another quest, but but you guys are the most available, most protected world. Oh, well, we are so doomed. <laughs> and, and and the reason I mentioned Armageddon because it's very much like that, right? Yep. In Armageddon, they're not the best astronauts. They're not the smartest people, but they do one thing really good: they dig. That's their skill, and they each have a part to play. Yep. So, and I just thought that story was phenomenal, and. With Spelljammer and stuff, mm -hmm. that just seems more plausible, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And would be fun. I mean, what if this adventure changes the way the world is shaped and looks because of the actions of the players? Dude, can we just find a uh, a high cleric that could talk to their god that can make make it go away? Wait, so your solution is to find somebody else to do the job? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> somebody stronger. But see, the, but that's the thing, though, right? Like gods, they don't always. They're not. They don't aren't servants of the people. Nope. And so there's reasons why they wouldn't want it to happen, right? Yep. Maybe it turns another guy. So there's so many different ways you can go, but the success of the players should be all, uh, multiple options of success or failures. Whether it's they succeed and it p passes but gets caught in its gravity, so now they're circling each other, which changes the climate of every part in the world. So everything succeeds, but now where there's oceans, there's going to be desert. Where there's desert, there's going to be oceans, you know, things like that become far more interesting um, results of the skills they perform. Also, make sure that one of those options is turning it to Swiss cheese, like uh, uh, Ian just said with the One Punch Man uh, uh, jib, because I like that idea. They succeed in blowing it up, but one of the checks is so bad, like a one, that it just doesn't give enough force to blow it all into dust, and it's just big meteor chunks. And then the planet's left very porous. <laughs> um, all right. That'll do it for our encounter. Our player tip is unleash your character's inner voice. As a player in a tabletop RPG, you have the opportunity to immerse yourself in a vibrant world of adventure, playing a unique character with hopes, dreams, fears, wishes, all of that. 
while you may be familiar with the the various strategies to optimize your character's abilities, um, there's one powerful thing that we often tend to overlook, and this technique can really elevate elevate your gameplay experience by unleashing your character's inner voice. Now, what does that mean? Your character's inner voice represents their thoughts, their motivations, their personal their personal narrative inside their mind. By delving into this aspect of your character, you can actually deepen their personality and create really engaging uh, role-playing uh, options, right? And moments and connect to the story on a more profound level. So what does it mean to unleash a character's inner voice? Well, in <laughs> embracing internal dialogue monologues, right? Yep. So during key moments of a game, uh, allow your character's thoughts to kind of come through uh, internal monologue. Share their insights, doubts, and aspirations with the rest of the group. So this technique offers a window into your the character's mind, giving them uh, depth to their actions and adding layers of complexity that didn't uh, exist before. Um, so, and what I mean by that is when everyone's got to make a decision, let's say, um, okay, a good example is you guys are choosing, uh, which way to go and down a cave, right? Mm -hmm. If you say, well, uh, Jurin, uh, wants to go left. Well, that's not really all that intriguing or interesting, but all right, guys, players, here's what Jiren is thinking. He has some concerns from the right because he can, you know, um, slightly hear whatever the perception check, you know, reveals. And he has a personal experience with that to the point that it, the skittering sounds too familiar to his, you know, his greatest fear of spiders. So he's certainly thinking going to the right or the left is the best option. Now he is aware that the right is a shortcut and is much quicker. But he's not work. He's not sure if he can make that challenge. Now hold up, Jeb here's thinking you want to go quick to the right because that's the right way to go. But if I was in the dungeon, I would think that'd be the right way to go because that's, that's the right. Therefore, we're gonna go left. <laughs> well, okay, that's good. I like that. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> um, Alex, what do you think about that? Uh, this reminds me of one of my favorite players that I ever had at my tables in Texas. Um, she would keep a, uh, she had a notebook that she mm -hmm. would be doodling in and writing in the whole time. And originally I thought that she wasn't paying attention. I thought that she was like doing something else. It turned out that she was writing and doodling all of her character's thoughts and feelings. That's cool. And it was like the most touching thing that has ever happened to me as a dungeon master to think that somebody was like doing that at my table. Um, so I definitely and it really uh, helped her to be able to play the character better, but also be more comfortable at the table. Um, and so I, I truly, truly recommend embracing the internal monologues and honestly if you want to monologue out loud like I'm fine with that like I, that's that's good for me like a little monologue here and there a little spotlight on you I think that you know and the reacting authentically I also agree that like Sometimes it can be really hard to instinctly react to something very severe like I just talked about this in a TikTok but I had a I had a group of players that didn't want that didn't want anything to do with the big bad the big bad was trying to take over the town and become the town's like ruler um and they were in a bar and the 
player, the, the bad guy was in the bar and the players wanted nothing to do with him until he kicked a cat and broke its ribs. Uh-huh. Um, the cat was annoying him, so he just kicked it and broke its Kill ribs. Him. And that that's what, yeah, every, everyone immediately hated him. But the reaction of everyone was so visceral and so real and authentic that the party was like, maybe I'll go do my own thing. You know, I don't really understand why my character's staying with them. And then everyone's like, nope, got to kill this dude. So it it can be really binding as a party, as as people together to authentically react to something. Yep, I really like that one. You nailed it. It gets a cat. Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have more of, of these, but one of the ones I really want to talk on, and I think the camp scenes or the rest scenes are the best place to do this, is to reflect on the consequences. When your character's actions have consequences, take time to reflect on those outcomes and explore how your character feels about the repercussions of those coming back to us talking about, you know, consequences for actions, right? And allow their inner voice to kind of express emotion or regret or satisfaction to how something unfolded. And you can do this in a myriad of different ways. Um, You can do it outright, as we just discussed, by sharing an internal monologue. Or when your GM asks you, all right, uh, is there anything you want to do before you go to bed? No, but when he goes to bed, I want to talk about a str- this fact that he struggles to sleep because of this discussion. He tosses and he turns and his eyes are wide awake and he can't stop thinking that he, if he had just ran a little faster, just a little harder, he might have been able to save her life. And now that's weighing on him. All because he decided to go around through the back door instead of through one of the side doors. That single decision now is going to impact him in a myriad of different ways. If he just gone a little faster, a little harder, took a different direction, used a different weapon, uh, thought his actions through a little more, but now he's struggling to sleep, which means he's not getting the rest he needs, which maybe that's how you narrate some of your low rolls. You say, uh, give me an investigation check. You get a three. He says, as he begins, you know, poking around the uh, office desk, he just can't stop thinking about that. He can still hear her screams. And so that becomes a tool for why your roles fail to let you to discover stuff. And I think that that becomes a powerful um, way to share how your character feels and deepens that connection between not only you and your character, but your character and the rest of the player characters and their players. Hmm. Jeb sits down, goes to bed. He opens up this flask, starts pouring in his cup. He knows all the rest of the party looks at him, judging him because they hear, smell the very strong scent of alcohol of this very high proof as he downs it. He knows what, why they judge him, but that said, it's the only way to make the screams go away so he can sleep. That was really See, good. It- yeah, and as a DM, I would absolutely make time for those kind of things to happen, for those kind of understandings to happen, so that, like, the mood gets set. Yeah, and it really doesn't take very much. Even if you've got five players that do 10 seconds of dialogue, it, so much information is shared in cross, whether it's camping, sleeping, or, you know, whatever, but it's the time to do that. And just from that, that shared line, like, all the guys are just going through his vice, but then yeah, in the, the last part, all the I'm like, Oh, crap. What has this guy gone through? <laughs> and that's the point, right? Yep. It builds interest in all the characters. So 
Uh, this is one of my my favorite player tips because um, unleashing your character's inner voice is can allow you to explore them in a new and uh, a compelling way. That'll do it for our player tip, unleashing your character's inner voice. Please give it a shot. I promise you won't regret it. Even if you come up with one sentence, uh, you will build your storytelling experience and you'll build your connection and your caring for that player. If Fur Haven sounds like a setting you would like to add to your collection or if you have some little ones and you want um, to engage them in fun storytelling opportunities, build their problem-solving capabilities and social interaction skills, this is the game for you. Please consider uh, uh, you know, looking for a late pledge or pre-order. Head over to rebrand.ly slash critforhaven. Or if you're listening to this episode way after this episode premiered, this might be out by now. <laughs> yes. In that case, go pick it up. You can pick it up at the same link. Join us in two weeks when we discuss character creation and furry adventures. If you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, head on over to CritAcademy.com, follow us on social media, leave us a review. Please consider becoming a patron. You can visit our Patreon page where you can now get a free seven-day trial, which is just jam-packed with so much fat loot, you'll spend years going through it all. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, we have over 300 episodes plus worth of material. (laughs) I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. Thanks for listening. Have fun on your adventures and... Don't be a dick! dick.